You're listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. Oneofus.net and all of the shows on it are 100% subscriber supported. Please consider becoming a subscriber to oneofus.net. Keep the site and all of our great shows going and get some terrific bonus content as well. Digital Noise is back with Aaron and Chris boop, boop. on the table here to talk about more movies. And we've got a, like I said, the first half of, the, of our gathering, we had a, a solid stack of stuff. And this time we've got a stack of, uh, you know what? Largely horror and genre based stuff. Well, there's also Cinderella, but we, <laughs> but, but, but we have some actually really interesting. Well, I forgot that was in the stack. <laughs> we had some genu- genuinely really interesting horror, that, some stuff that you might have heard came out and dismissed and is actually worth taking a look at, some stuff you know about, and and we're like, yeah, how is the release of that? Other stuff, there's one on here that is maybe the most disturbing Italian giallo movie ever oh, yeah. made. Oh, yeah. Um, but we're going to start off with one that is the worst one on the whole list, because oh. let's just get it the fuck out of the way. What movie is that? That is yeah. The Devil's Kiss. Oh, man. Just Devil's Kiss. Which... No, the... Which... Uh, I, so, before we get into this, I want to tell you what the first five lines of dialogue in this movie are. Oh, you 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 wrote this down. I fucking remember it. Uh uh, a psychic uh, walks up to a man and he goes, oh, madam, blah, 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 blah. It's so nice to see you. And she goes, no, I no longer go by that name. I am Element Clorant. You may call me Madame Clorant. <laughs> I go by Emile Clorant. <laughs> My name is Clorant. <laughs> this whole thing is... Why would anyone release this without robots talking in front of it? Well, you know what it is. It's I, I'm assuming it's the appeal of movies like Vampiros Lesbos. Yeah, like it's that kind of a thing. It's a it's Italian Euro trash type stuff. It's French Spanish co production. This was decidedly cashing in on the films of this era, like that that were like minor successes. Yeah. Um, this is one of the most forgettable of the sort of like knockoff side movies like this I've seen. Like I said, this is totally yeah. mystery science theater, like fodder. That, that I can't believe great. they haven't done it. And one of the main reasons might be just that there's a shit ton of naked scenes. And yes. Oh yeah. <laughs> and not to mention also with the character who I refer to as the professional victim, mm-hmm. because in the opening half of the movie, she is in three scenes Two of them and in the background of one. And both scenes, back to back, she gets attacked by different people. Yeah. She gets attempted rape by a man. Then the next scene, she's just brushing her hair a minute later. Totally cool, because, you know, we're cool with Shit that. happens. And then she gets attacked by a ghost, I guess. And then <laughs> the next scene, she's like, the next time I saw her, she was in the background of a scene... Getting attacked by a guy again. So, why don't you tell the plot of this oh, film? Fuck. I keep giving you the hard ones. <laughs> so, uh, what's the, the plot, Aaron? 
Give me the plot, Aaron. <laughs> There's a bunch of rich socialites who are having a party, and they have invited. The and man. I'm sorry, you're out of time. No, sorry, just kidding. <laughs> they have invited the woman who says the same thing five times in a row to come be come be a medium for their at their fashion sense. party at their fashion party because <laughs> that's what you do. And the guy who is hosting the party is so enamored with her that he wants her to stay with him. And do her psychic experiments, which basically amount to her coming up with a Frankenstein beast to get revenge on the rich people because she blames them for the death of her husband. Yeah, that's pretty much the story. That is the movie. I've spoiled things. But in, just, the, you, in, in the meantime, there's a lot of people having sex for absolutely no goddamn reason except to have a sex scene. Yeah. Um, uh, like a sometimes aggressive rape. Sex scenes that turn into not rape. Yeah, uh, uh, it's, it's it's bad. It's bad. It's bad. It's goofy as fuck. And it's there's a certain amount of charm to films that are goofy as fuck that I can usually like get it. I mean, like Vampires Lesbos is one of those that I can go. All right, this is not a good movie, but it's got a certain amount of charm to it that I'm like, okay, I, I'm getting the goofy charm. This one I had a really hard time pushing past yeah. into the goofy charm. This did not have goofy charm to me. This movie is just. Boring. I mean, the castle was cool looking. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there you go. The, the, that is the high I'm point trying. of the movie. I'm looking. The castle was cool. Oh, uh, the uh, uh, the blonde maid chick was unbelievably hot. Yeah, and, and I'll admit, the professional victim, Yeah, she was pretty. Yeah, she was there we pretty. Go. Yeah, there we but, go. Um, there's not a huge... I mean, this is... Redemption films, who the guys, same guys who do all those, uh, Jess Franco films, which are those, like, really fucking drawn out, boring as fuck, vaguely sexploitation, but trying to be arty vampire movies. Oh, so Devil's Kiss. Yeah, like, yeah, but, like, those at least you get the feeling that they're trying to make it classy. Nothing about Devil's Kiss is trying to make it classy. I mean, this is, an inch away from Manos, the hands of fate level. Yeah, I'm sorry. Like, I just, this movie is not worth it. Yeah. It's just not good. Uh, the, <laughs> sorry. The, 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 the uh, lead uh, antagonist? I mean, she's the protagonist, the, the I guess. The main character. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Sylvia Soler. She's been Cannibal Terror, Terror and Eyeball. She's kind of one of those people who's known for these type of films. She is the one person I'd point at who's not terrible in this. <clears throat> But she's certainly not a someone you would go, oh, yeah, I want to watch more movies by that person. Uh, <laughs> there's no extras. It just It's an exploitation film, but exploitation in a period that nobody really cares about I mean, the knockoffs. If this is your cup of tea, you know about this already. Yeah. And go, good for you. If it's not, I avoid it. Just avoid it. So I'm curious to know what you have to say about this next one. Because when I handed it to you, you were like, I remember seeing this and not liking it that much. And I was like... I don't know what you're talking about. I fucking love this movie. Uh, we're <laughs> like, I, I think, feel like I almost got aggro about it. And part of it is that Park Chan-wook is like one of my favorite directors in the whole world. Like, he's a South Korean director who did right. Joint Security Area, which a lot of you may not know about, but which is fantastic. He did The Handmaiden, which is so incredible. I don't even have words. It's, it's, uh, he did the, the vengeance trilogy, uh, um, uh, with sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, old boy and lady vengeance. He did Stoker also very good and underappreciated. I am a cyborg, but that's okay. I've not seen that one. So it's okay. Is that him? Yeah, that's him. Okay. So no, you're right. That is him. Uh, I, oh, and Snowpiercer. Yeah. Yeah. No, that yeah, is no, correct. that is him. No, 
No, oh, wait, you're talking no, about the actor. He's just the producer. Boon Joon-hoon he's just the producer. Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, and starring like maybe the most recognizable South Korean actor that 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 there is in in all these the big hits of South Korean cinema, which has become a a thing lately. Which is uh, Song Kang Ho, who is plays a lead in Joint Security Area, Memories of Murder, The Host. He plays the dad in The Host. He's one of the leads in Snowpiercer. If you haven't seen. The incredible recent one, A Taxi Driver. He was also, I'm pretty, oh no, fuck. I'm thinking of the guy who is an old boy, um, but he was in Boon Joon-hoon's Sympathy for the Devil. Mm-hmm. Which is just am- I saw the devil, which is right. amazing. Oh, but hard it's to watch. So great. Uh, but um, thirst, so- thirst is his attempt to make an erotic horror film, and which is always a hard sell to do it well. You can do it campy, but well. And for my money, this is the best erotic vampire film that exists. Uh, okay. Okay. Now, obviously, you were not sold on the rewatch. So here's the thing: I, I am a Char- Park Chan fanatic as well. Uh, got into him like a lot of Americans did when Old Boy came out, and through beg, borrow, or stealing, I managed to track down his other films. Mm-hmm. And I adore almost everything he's made. Um, I even am. Tr- I I discovered while looking up Thirst and kind of making just reading about it that he recently has directed a John Le Carre TV miniseries. I saw that, which I was like, "Holy shit! I gotta watch that now." Yeah, um, I adore Stoker, the Vengeance trilogy. Yeah, everyone amazing. talks shit about Stoker, oh, and I was like, "I thought movie. Stoker was Love great." It. Um, I'm a huge fan of JSA. The only two movies of his that he's ever made that I go, eh, they're okay, are I'm a Cyborg, but that's okay, which is, it's not bad, it's just okay. No, nobody talks about it. Uh, he, he cranks up the quirkiness way too far in that, and so it distracts from the overall story. And you're saying the other one is this. The other one is this. <sighs> Which, I don't hate it. Like, that's the thing. Like, there's so much that's great in this movie. I love the way he handles the vampires. There is a casual power that they have that I have never seen before in any other film. And it's striking. I hate that and, you, you don't look, totally love this. Because watching it again, I was like, I love it even more the second time. And <laughs> so I, 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 I think I got it why I don't like it. Um, and I, I love the the female character. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is this woman who basically was an orphan who fell in with this family and has kind of been ruled through emotional abuse, but not really physical abuse her whole life. And so she, after being raised by them, married the son of this family, and so has felt trapped or like a prisoner in this family. Her story was cool. Who basically was a complete newcomer when this yeah. movie came out, but since has had a very Which, solid career. I want to say that she was in I Am a Cyborg, but that's okay. Maybe. I mean, maybe. But but, she's had a but, lot but, of but, stuff but, yeah. since then. So, and then, then the main character is this... He's a priest. He's a Catholic priest, priest. Who, who is in search of a cause to march to, to martyr for. Yeah, you know, like I, I need to help everyone and anyone at, at all expense. And basically, he volunteers for a suicide job. Yeah, it's a vaccine to, project. To study a vaccine for this <laughs> for this disease that only targets foreign men. Which, by the way, Park Chan Wook, if you haven't seen him before. 
His movies are fucked up, dramatic, painful, beautiful, and, and really oddly funny and silly. And sometimes. also often extremely gory yeah. in a Cronenbergian sort of but, way. So he, of course, gets sick and dies through this disease, but through an accidental blood transfusion, wakes up a vampire. And so all the stuff with the vampires I really liked. Um, the problem was. I thought I would really like the character, the, the main character of this priest who is struggling with the morality of what he needs to do. But both times I watch it, I just end up going, good God. Like, I, I don't buy it. I feel like he would either be more pained and struggle more or would give in more. And so, like, he, he you watch him trying not to kill people and then he starts forming this romantic attachment and this erotic obsession with the female character who I wish I could remember her name, but they're Korean and I can never remember their names easily. I um, said it a second ago, didn't I? He probably did. Yeah. And you're like, I should have expected you remember it's a Korean <laughs> name. It's easy. But, um, <laughs> so, and, and the two of them get into a fucked up, Situation, fucked up romance where they're. It's not even a romance. It's like a. It's an affair. It's a, I cannot stop myself from having yeah. sex with you scenario. And, like, the issue is, is that because I never buy into his character throughout all of that, I, I just find myself kind of going, like, okay, let's get on with it. Uh, and then inevitably, eventually they get to a point, like you do in all of these movies, where they decide that, you know what, we have to act with violence, we have to kill her husband, and that's kind of the halfway point, and that's when the movie takes off. And I'll admit that once that happens, and the two of them are together, I become a lot more interested in the movie. And once, as it is inevitable, she eventually turns into a vampire, everything after that I am super into. Like, watching that character dynamic, I dug. The problem is, is that's like the last half of the, or the, the last act of the movie. It's a it, long movie. If, if that were moved up, I think I would like this movie a lot more. But like, I just, I never bought his character dilemma because oh, he, he goes on and on uh, having hallucinations about the effects of murdering this one character while completely ignoring the fact that about a minute and a half after he murders that character, he Flat out murders another person. Okay, so first and off, so, this is 134 minutes. So right off the bat, it's not going to be everybody's cup of tea. Yeah. I'm not saying that's your reasoning. No, I'm just saying yeah. that, like, just warning you, it's a long movie. I found this engaging as hell from start to finish, and I like that he's not taking it super seriously either. He's definitely playing this for laughs a lot of the time and for camp. There's a bit, a shot that I can't get out of my mind where he escapes out the window, but he's wearing his Catholic priest garb, and you're like, that's totally a vampire cape. <laughs> it's like totally, you like, when you watch it, when I'm leaving, it's like, it's trailing by him. Like, that's a vampire cape. Or the, They're uh, playing off of like really classic tropes, but but making them work inside of what they have here. Or, or the, the way he feeds, which I think is hilarious, is he goes up to a coma patient and he pulls out the IV and it just lays on the ground, like drinking yeah. the IV. Just like drinks just enough blood. But I like the way that at first he's like, okay, this happened. Um, and when he comes back to life, like, oh, like it survives the illness, 
because he's a Catholic priest, everyone's like, oh, it's a miracle. You're a miracle worker. People are chasing him down to perform miracles. And honestly, he is capable of it. He would just have to turn them into a vampire to do it. And that part's actually kind of cool. Like, I'm super torn about this movie, man. There's so much I like about it, but but I don't like the character. His, he tries really hard to be like, okay, let's make the best of this. I can do this and and keep living and actually help people, Like, which he finds ways to be able to use his abilities, which he can do. Like, It's very traditional. He can like jump. He's like superhero vampires. He can jump really far. He's all but immortal. And like, I mean, he's super strong and all that shit. Uh it reminded me a little bit of um, a much later film, and I'm blanking the name of it. It was a found footage movie where guys go on vacation. Oh. Um, um, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, yeah. They go on I vacation, did. and the guy gets infected, and then he's like, this is amazing! I think it's actually like And then the he starts infection. craving blood, and it's like, oh, fuck. Dude, the- and this is kind of that same thing where it's like, he's like, this is not bad at all. I've, I've found a way to make this work until that thirst Becomes so powerful that he just starts losing control. Uh, as far as like him being a superhero kind of thing, there's this wonderful moment where when he's initially romancing the female character, which I called it the Superman moment because he picks her up and he jumps her between the buildings. Yeah. And the way they shoot it is a locked camera on her face. And you just see the pure joy of which how much fun it would be. Might have been around. a reference because there's a lot of references to other films in yeah. this movie, but only only in a cinema, in a cinematography sort of sense. Um, I, I think the acting is tremendous here. I think the cinematography is tremendous here. It is long, but I right when it was I know we, we're going to disagree. Right when it was over, I contemplated starting it again no, like, at the beginning and rewatching it. I liked it that much. I I, I think this I can't is, fault you for that. Like I, I, the situation. When I look at my feelings about this movie, I don't think this is a situation where my flaws with the movie are really, truly flaws with the movie. I think it's partly either my expectation or what I want out of it. I want more drama with vampirism, and it's not really so much about that. Mm -hmm. It is a erotic thriller. They just happen to be vampires. And, And admittedly pretty fucking hot sex scenes. And I'm not trying to be yes. a creepy old guy no, no, here. No, you're right. I mean, they're incredibly well-filmed, really erotic sex well, scenes between the two of these people that are, like, done with a sort of that sense of, like, we shouldn't be doing this, this is wrong, which obviously makes it, by definition, more erotic. And like, well, like, it's because it's, it's Park Chan-wook. Yeah. Like, I, I can't sell this enough. Park Chan-wook is an amazing filmmaker. And this movie, even with my issues about it, it's still a gorgeous film that I would recommend to a lot of people. Uh, his cinematographer, Chung Chung Hoon, who worked on as well, uh, Old Boy, Three Extremes, Sympathy for Lady Vengeance. I think this is one of the most gorgeous looking films he's made for him personally. Uh, it's I would not, agree. it's not the best. And I agree. This is not the best of Park Chan Wook's films. I would say the Sympathy trilogy is the best of yes, Park Chan Wook's yeah, films. That, that is. Like all three of those, that's like, if you haven't watched those, I mean, they've even put them out in a Blu-ray box set that I have that's like, just those three films. Yeah. They're amazing. Watch them. Um, they're, they're just, they're groundbreaking. Yeah, and well, and the, so many people have copied them in America and every other country since because they're just that the, the good. The Vengeance trilogy and even Stoker, like, 
those are the movies whenever anyone tells me they're interested in foreign films or they like any kind of messed up cinema, it's always like, here, watch these three movies. They're the most beautiful, painful, wonderful movies you'll ever see in your life. Uh, other than the trailer, there's just a commentary track by journalist and author Brian Reisman, who just basically talks about stuff he researched with the production of this film and interesting stories about it, which is, you know, fine. We have a, like a South Korean director who as far as I can tell, does not speak English. Um, I don't know. Uh, like I've seen interviews with him on other stuff that are like decidedly not in English, but for English releases. And I was like, okay, I have a feeling he does well, not speak like, any he, English. He's made an English-speaking film now with Stoker, mm-hmm. and the TV series he made was a BBC production. It is in English, so well, doesn't say you can't. True, yeah. he could yeah. just have a translator. I mean, especially, uh, and also if all your tech people are also Korean, yeah. Just saying. Uh, I genuinely think this is great. I'm sorry you don't love it as much as me. Yeah, me too. Uh, I want to. Ne- I want to love it so much. Next up is the single most disturbing Lucio Fulci film ever made, <laughs> The New York Ripper. And this is the brand new 4K release of it. Not not on 4K disc. It's a 4K transfer. Uh, so this is decidedly the best version of this that exists. And believe it or not... Despite the fact that this is like, this is like the best of trash cinema. Like, if I was to say, like, like you're looking for the down and dirtiest fucking horror cinema that there is, this is in like top five of like the worst agree. of the worst. <laughs> it's like it's it is definitely trash cinema, but it's still entertaining. It's there is an actual passable plot, genuinely nicely shot. There's yeah. some really great camera work in here. The gore is fucking exceptional. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a point in which I was messaging Chris while watching this movie being like, what the fuck have you given me, Chris? And I referenced a particular kill. And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's nothing. Just wait. I was like, just and, wait. And as he sent that message... I got to that kill, yeah. which may be the goriest and most violent murder I've ever seen. It's really so It was Chris just going, just wait. And then before he even hit Sid, me going, oh my fucking God, what the hell? <laughs> yep, yep, yep. <laughs> New York Ripper, which I mean, we've actually reviewed before on Digital Noise, because they, not even two years ago, put out a Blu-ray of it. This being a significantly upgraded visual version of it. Like, this is a near-perfect presentation visually of this film. Uh, as far as upgrades go, it's amazing that Forrest Gump is still not a perfect version, well, but New York Ripper is nailing it. One of the, <laughs> one of the only things that bother me, and, and I, I read up on this after you mentioned it, because I asked you about it. This is what started our chain of conversation. But they make the decision to have the killer, whenever he's going to go through his murders, he talks like Donald the Duck. Donald Duck. Quacks yeah. a lot. Quack, 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 yeah. quack. And it's really distracting. And apparently that was done so that you would never really get into the mind of the killer and never sympathize with him. It was also read that it was done basically to alleviate the mood a bit. Yeah. But holy shit, every single time there's a murder and the quacking starts. Yeah, like he makes, it's just he like calls the detective and he goes, hold me right the hell out of the movie every time. A lot of Giallo was done very much uh, like when the killer was doing it from the, like done yeah. shot from a first person point it of view from of the, the, the killer. Uh, 
this movie largely does not do that. It does it from the point of view of the, the victims. Uh, and also there's that that's just so absurd that – and I don't know how much of this is like well after the fact, some, like them defending it because certainly this film has been attacked – numerous times for being deeply misogynist. Justifiably so. Um, and because it's like this guy going around really violently well, killing like well, female joggers in, in, in New York City. I mean, let's not split hairs. This is an Italian giallo made by Lucio Fulci. It is deeply misogynistic. There is just no two ways about it. But that's okay. It's part of that era of cinema and so, like, I mean, I'm not going to say it's okay. You go, but acknowledged. Yeah, but there's so much about this movie that actually is genuinely, really kind of groundbreaking and good. It's that that I go, you know, if this came out now, I'd be like, "What are you doing?" But yeah. it's not now. It's it's it kind of like that. Watching the old James Bond movies, where you watch yeah. them, it, no matter what, you have to go in with a okay. This was a different time. There were different but, layers of status quo. But even so, okay. him saying, like, I was aware of the fact that this was upsetting and that this was pushing it farther than I've ever pushed it before in that aspect. And the Donald Duck thing was an intention, intentional device to not make characters identify with the killer. <laughs> like, to not make them feel like they were in the, the shoes of the killer there. And I think overall, that does work. I mean, you said it yourself, it pulls you out of it every time. It and that's exactly what it's supposed to do. And it is also very funny. <laughs> um, I mean, like, it's a very giallo film with this guy, Jack Headley, playing a lieutenant, his burned-out police detective, who himself is a complete dick. I mean, he's sleeping with a hooker that he's like just talking trash well, to. Well, yeah, like, at one point, she mildly disagrees with him, and his response is, shut up, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> he's horrible. <laughs> Meanwhile, a series of young women are getting murdered really incredibly violently by this guy. And like I said, wow, this is, even for Fulci, this is, wow, you know, violent. I, I swear, like, every Fulci movie has, like, two shots, which are... Like, the movie is gory overall, but they're like, holy shit, you have officially set a gore scene that will stay with cinema, like, for the rest of time. Oh, yeah. Um, he does the eyeball spike thing. Or the and, uh, shark shark zombie fight. Yeah, yeah. And this one has it, too. Yeah. I, I don't want to spoil it, because... Uh, once again, oh eyeball. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying, eyeball. If you have a problem with eyeballs, do not watch Lucio Fulci The eyeball wasn't what got me. I was like, it was, it was, it was like, uh, uh, Unchien Andalou if it was yes. mean spirited. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I mean, it's, it's going through the motions of being a detective story, which is ridiculous. And the detective is almost more unlikable than the killer himself. And it has like a ridiculous twist at the end, <laughs> but is genuinely well shot. Film with lots of interesting stuff going on Dude. with some groundbreaking uh, gore special effects. Like, nobody had ever done gore this well before this. It's like you said, this is for people who enjoy extreme cinema. Yeah. This is that extreme cinema type of movie, but with a abnormally good plot and story. I mean, it's just And a good soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, I will defend New York Ripper. I get it. If by modern day standards you're offended by it, if this had come out now, you should have been offended by yeah. it. But it didn't. It came out in the 70s. Yeah. And so you watch it with a certain context of, <laughs> hey, at the very least, he was aware this was going a little off the rails in that sense and tried to do something it, to offset it. It also had my, my favorite random one-liner. One of the victims, when she's first introduced, she accidentally bumps into a guy's car. And, and there may be a cultural explanation for this, but when he starts yelling at her and calling her names, her response is, and I quote, I'm sorry, I was distracted, I was thinking about Boston. <laughs> and I don't know if she's talking about the band, or the city, or something else, but either way, I love that line. <laughs> I don't remember if this is by Boston or not, but she should carry on her way with something. Is that Boston? I'm I don't know. I'm pretty sure it's not. I don't know. It sounds like a, a Boston song. Um, this is largely pre-existing materials. The last Blu-ray release had a lot of bonus features here, but there are a few new things on here, including a brand new audio commentary by author and critic Troy Howarth, uh, and a few extra uh, stuff. Uh, it's got a 20-page illustrated booklet, and once again, it is a... It's it's way better of a transfer looking transfer than the previous one. This is a flawless visual transfer. Yeah, you don't usually it, see a transfer this good in this kind of a movie. It's really good. <laughs> like this is like it, they make this movie look gorgeous, and I'm not sure it needed yeah. to. <laughs> it may have been to his detriment because now I can really see the gore. So let's go to modern day horror, and we're going to talk about a movie from a long running franchise that. Maybe the only horror franchise that's been going on this long that I've never seen one of. This is Leprechaun Returns. <laughs> I've never seen one of the Leprechaun uh, movies. I have seen the first one. I never saw that. And, and But that's good, though, because Leprechaun Returns has ignored all the sequels. All of them. This is a sequel to the first one, which is now a thing, apparently. This yeah. is what you do. You know what? That's okay, because, like, for the most part, a lot of the times, like, with Rambo, with Halloween, now with this, it's like the first one's good and the last one's good and just, eh. Let me just be clear. This Leprechaun has never been to the hood twice. Yes. Or in space. <laughs> yeah, or in space. <laughs> and But it's not Warwick Davis either nope. anymore. So we, we've got a, a, a uh, I think... New actor here, um, uh, Lyndon Porco. Yeah, yeah, he, Lyndon he even, Porco. They call out the fact that he's a different. Yeah, he, he's a guy who's known for wrestling type stuff. He was uh, uh, best known for being a body double in the 2006 film Little Man, <laughs> for whatever that's worth. But okay. honestly, I mean, I like Warwick. Da- Warwick Davis obviously holds a part in cultural geek history yes, to a big degree. But this guy's great. I kind of liked the shit out of this movie. This one, it was... I, I, I went and I looked it up because I have no context for fandom of these. These just sounded bad and I didn't want to see them. This is the highest rated <laughs> Leprechaun film at 48% on Rotten Tomatoes. So <laughs> I, I, I had mixed feelings. I enjoyed this. For a trashy, horror, straight-to-DVD horror film, I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. Uh, I think the actors are almost across the board terrible. But yeah. well, the, the, the the lead girl. Thank you. That's what we get to the yeah. lead girl. I don't know if she's actually a good actress, but she sells the character really well, and I like the character, so I was okay with it. Um, and she's got a lot of experience. I'm blanking on what it is. She was on a TV show. 
So where she was like played a, a one of the main characters that people like uh, she played Lila Taylor Spritler, uh, who was on uh, Melissa and Joey in twenty and ten. Okay, uh, for a while, <laughs> and then she was in the Kevin Can Wait with Kevin James. I mean, a lot of like very family oriented yeah. type shit. But so, but she's not inexperienced, no. and she's kind of charming and, and nice. She is the daughter of Jennifer Aniston's character from the first one. Yeah, who tell the plot? I'm gonna go with who, who has. Uh, recently died, and she has left home after taking care of her crazy mother who ranted and raved about the leprechaun who came, who was coming to kill her. And so she is going to college for the first time and shows up at a sorority house, which also happens to be her mother's home when, I'm assuming, in Leprechaun 1. Although that is not relevant at all, because aside from mentioning it to one character in the very beginning of the movie, it plays no part in the rest of the film, which I think was a missed opportunity. Well, I mean, they, they do have a character, another character from that original film, Mark Holden, yes. playing Ozzy from the first film, who's come back. He's like, I was, I went through all this. This is the place where all that happened. Well, so he has some insight into this, and then he be- ends up becoming the sort of like helpful ghost buddy. So he was cool. <laughs> it was just, I kind of. Ex- Expected that to be a thing because wouldn't you think if you're moving into a house with a bunch of people you're sensibly going to become friends with you would go oh by the way fun fact my mother owned this house like that's you and everyone that she thing. was friends with were murdered here but so <laughs> so through I'm assuming and I, like I, here's the thing I don't know the lore and so there no. were things that had significance in the movie that I was like oh I, I guess that's a thing. once again only based after the first yeah, film but. So. So the leprechaun comes back and starts looking for his pot of gold because he gets stronger if he has his pot of gold. Yeah. And apparently, and I guess the character, Jennifer Aniston character, stole it in the first movie. Stole no, it? No, no. I, I want to say that they returned the gold. Because okay. the gold's I all don't there. Know. I didn't but see that. That's movie. a plot point. So either way, movie. it's pointless but, because, like, he's looking for the pot of yeah, gold. Yeah, he, he shows up and he starts killing people, and he basically can do anything as long as it's funny. Yeah, he's got to do a stand-up act first. And uh, the the kills are really good in this movie. The actually. kills are really good. Like, there's one kill that I think took too long to happen, where a guy gets his head cut off and. It should have been a quick kill, but they spend like six seconds building up to it where you're like, just just get out of the way. But aside from that, like the kills were really excellent. It's, the characters are mostly enjoyable. Yeah, it's a bunch of useless, obviously disposable people in a horror film, uh, teenagers that are honestly... They're not great actors, but they're not terrible. Yeah, um, they're passable. And, and they're having fun knowing exactly what they're here for. And the movie has fun with it. And I, I can't compare it to any of the other leprechauns once again, but I think that the, the I love the fact that the leprechaun is just like not in a hurry to kill everyone. He sometimes he'll just hang out and have a conversation yeah. with them like and not even go into kill mode. And I was like, that's weird. The only <laughs> thing that ended up bothering me about this movie, and it was a retroactive bother actually. After the movie finished, I watched the special features. Mm-hmm. And so normally when you see this kind of a situation happen where they reboot the franchise, like they did with Halloween, you have people who are super passionate about the original franchise and they're like no it got off its rails I'm coming in to write it because this is what should have been yeah and that is not the case here uh the director is talking and he's like yeah I was 
hired to do the effects for it and my agent called and said do you want to direct and i was like shit why not <laughs> <laughs> and so like sure he, i got nothing else going on that weekend that is basically how he approaches it and like the special features behind the scenes stuff and right. so instantly i was like kind of fuck you maybe Maybe? I, mean, I don't know. But at the same time, so, I watched it and was like, this is a kind of charming little like slasher movie. It is. With some really inventive, like, well-presented kills in it and some points I laughed out loud with I the comedy laugh. in it. I, 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 I was I, like, this is not an all-time classic. Don't get me wrong. But it's a lot better than any film with Leprechaun in the title I, I expected to be. And, and I'm... I'm legitimately legitimately intrigued to see where uh, the main actress goes next. I'd be in, I'd like to see her. She was okay. Yeah. She was all right. Yeah, I was like, oh, you're not bad. And you have was, a you have a je ne sais quoi. You're not like it like a Kristen Ritter level je ne sais quoi or a Kristen Bell or any other given Kristen, but uh, you've got something. Well, plus that makes you go. You've got a thing. They do the thing where it, instead of like. The main dam- the main character being something of a damsel or talking about these issues, trying to go like, hey, something's happening and no one believing her. I like that she was like sh- flat out, oh my god, there is a leprechaun, he's fucking trying to kill us, and we have to do this, and if you guys aren't going to do anything about it, then I am. <laughs> There's so many bizarrely funny moments that are almost, this is influenced by the Evil Dead films, I suspect. I don't oh, think yes. the guy has the capacity as a director to make a film anywhere near as good as Sam Raimi is capable of making, but there's no question that he's influenced by that type of humor. <laughs> and I, this does nothing but make this salvageable. Oh, yeah. uh, the, the, the scene that finally got me into the rhythm of the movie is when a character is trying to run past the body of one of the first people who died and they see the body, they take great pains to avoid the body, and still trip and fall and face plant into the blood and guts. Right. Like, spend three seconds just, right. like, swimming in it. I was like, okay, I'm in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think I said the same thing. I was like, yes, that's right. That's good. Do that. More of that. Uh, so, I think we need to take a second to talk about us, Aaron. <laughs> What's going on with us? Chris, I just, I've got a lot of feelings pent up. Yeah. And I'm feeling like I'm two people right now. Yeah. Like, I I have a lot of darkness inside of me that really Don't. just needs to get out. I feel like you're doppelganging up on me right now. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> God damn it, I wanted to keep it going, but I <laughs> It's okay. We're talking about the 4K and Blu-ray release of Jordan Peele's Us, which I think is a brave new statement in horror that doesn't completely work, but it works so well regardless that I can't help but recommend it to almost everyone. I just want to warn people going into it ahead of time, this is abstract horror. This is not going to be a companion piece to get out. Uh, True. Uh, His previous film, uh, which is, I think, a 10 out of 10. Pretty much at this point. I've watched like five times now. It's like oh. just straight up one of the great horror comedies. This is not that. It's a very different type of film. He's getting... And we were talking about Lynchian stuff in the last episode. He's almost getting a little Lynchian here. Yeah. I don't feel that vibe as much. Now, I, I will say that it is a 
fundamentally different movie from Get Out. Get Out was, it was a movie that wore its message on its sleeve. It was about something. This movie is far more of a genre film. Whereas, like, Get Out, you you can't watch Get Out without the message. Mm. This movie, you could watch this movie without paying attention to the underlying themes and messages in it and still enjoy it as a horror film. But at the same time... However, they're still there. And, like... At the same time, this movie presents, in a Lynchian sense, a giant question mark uh, in using uh, otherworldliness... And dream logic for its creepiness and some of the creepy stuff, especially in the third act, of making you want to find out what it all means, which leads you even deeper into the themes that he actually wants to discuss. This feels a lot more like a feature-length Twilight Zone episode, and, and I say that as a compliment. I don't disagree. Than Lynch, because like when I think of Lynch, everything throughout the movie, and actually just any kind of abstract cinema, there's always that dream logic of Mm -hmm. stuff is just happening because it kind of does. In this movie, once you get past the initial setup, everything tracks 100% with that. And, And so it feels more like he got this brilliant weird ball of an idea and just rolled it. And then where we're watching it naturally bounce and sway with the track as it moves. So I want to be very careful because I know a lot of people did not see this one in the theater. Um, weirdly. I've talked to so many people who are like, loved it out, I, I, I did, did not, not go to see, see the theaters. Uh, so yeah, you understand. Yeah. So why don't you give me your plot that okay. doesn't get as far as like yeah, yeah. deep sports. Uh, I, I'll, I'll, I'll do it the best I can. So the movie follows Lupita Nyong'o. Lupita Nyong'o, Adelaide Wilson, who, by the way, deserves an Academy Award for this movie. She's Um, amazing, and if she doesn't, it's a crime. But it's not over yet. It starts with her as I think like a five or six year old girl at South Beach with Madison Curry, and she she is. Basically, they're with her parents and is drawn away and finds herself in a hall of mirrors where she sees something. We don't know what. And the movie then fast forwards to her in her 30s. She's married. She has two kids. Uh, boy and girl. The deeply likable Winston Duke. Yeah. Who, like, previously we saw in Black Panther as, like, this total fucking badass, fuck you, Black Panther, kind of half antagonist. Uh and here he's like the he is like the physical in the encyclopedia under dad bod you have is, a picture of Winston Duke right here like he, he like, made a lot more decisions in this movie that are in line with what I probably would have yeah. done than I really liked he's like I was, watching this, I was like fuck I think I'm him he's dorky, <laughs> he's dorky dad but like, so, good dad dorky dad so anyways the, happily married thank god there's no like dysfunctional marriage plot um but they are going to go on vacation and he tells them they're going to go stay at her parents' house on South Beach and right away she is kind of freaked out yeah. and uneasy. Like, yeah. And so they show up, it's everything's going okay, there's little hints of what's going on. It's like uh, you, Santa you Cruz. Santa Cruz, not South Beach. But you can tell something is happening, but not really what. 
Um, you meet their their friends who are in a horribly dysfunctional relationship. Yeah. Placed by Elizabeth Moss and Tim Heidecker. Yep. With their twin daughters. Um, and... Then the moment any horror film introduces twin girls, I'm like, oh no, stop, (laughs) stop, you're going to upset me. And so the movie kind of continues on with a slow build until that evening when it's the scene you've seen in the trailers, and this is as far as I'm going to go with the plot description. Uh, Their son walks up and says, mommy, daddy, there's a family in the driveway. And you see there's a family of four standing in their driveway, quiet, without saying a thing. And then the rest of the movie happens. Okay. I don't want to get into it. I don't no, want to No, no, no. I'm, I'm willing to go a little bit farther okay. here and say the family that is there are doppelgangers of their family. Okay. Just something is fucking seriously wrong with them. So there you go. The, yeah. They're doppelgangers. They look exactly like them, but they're dressed in orange jumpsuits. Uh, they their, their behavior is totally different. Well, they also only, don't talk. Only one of them talks. Uh, and she, she she does the tenacious D backwards singing, <laughs> as I called it during it. It's like she talks like breathing in, not breathing out. She's like, no, I and going that far, if you're going that far, and and pretty much I at the culmination of that scene, the the dark versions of them come after them, and so. From there, it is a tense, thrilling movie that gets surprisingly large in scale. Um, And there is a lot of weirdness to it. But again, aside from the actual true origin of the doppelgangers... I think everything tracks logically. Like, like every decision made... No, all the stuff that gets very abstract is in the third act. Yeah. And... I felt like they earned it to some degree. Great. I wasn't completely sold. I, I remember going, okay, I see what you're doing, and I like what you're attempting to do. I don't know if you 100% succeeded, but in terms of the transfer from this all makes sense to this is completely well, abstract. So, you know, what's funny is that uh, I also had a couple of issues in the third act, that there is a twist, which I guess maybe 15, 20 minutes into the movie. And, but to its credit, there is another kind of twist slash setup that I was way wrong on and was completely convinced of what this movie was. And when they finally told me what was going on, I was like, Oh, I, I did not get that at all. Okay. So I want to say, I think Lupita Nyong'o, I agree with you. She's astonishing in this film. I mean, every single one is very good in this movie. But I also want to specifically call out Elizabeth Moss, who is has one of the creepiest evil faces I have ever seen in any movie in my entire life. <laughs> she has a moment where she gives this evil smile in here that made me go, like, like chills down my spine, want to fucking close my eyes physically with my hands not to look at it. Like, uh, holy shit, that was amazing. There's a lot of great stuff happening here. There's a lot of really inventive, you've never seen anything like this stuff happening before, and maybe it won't make complete sense to you if you want a more straightforward movie, but 
I think this is a massive work of art, and I don't think this is anywhere near the best stuff Jordan Peele will do in his career. Well, that's the thing. This movie was the this movie cemented Jordan Peele as a director that I will be following throughout the rest of his career because it's like, ballsy. Like, like, like Get Out was so good and so well done, but okay, it's his first movie. You see that a lot, and. You also see a lot the second film being a complete failure. There was a scene when uh, one of the characters is being chased by their doppelganger, and they take off running down the road. And it's this long dirt road lit with occasional uh, spotlights. And it's just, he just lets the camera sit and watch the character haul ass while being chased from light to dark, light to dark. And it was such a beautiful shot that I sat back and was like, holy shit, okay, Jordan Peele is a director. That How did this guy from go from sketch comedy to this? I have no idea, but here he is, and he's one of the most interesting guys working I, I in the I can't field. think of a better horror director working right now, at least <laughs> the quality for how many films he's put out. Fair. Oh, actually, actually, I can. The guy who did Midsummer and Hereditary. I, 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 <laughs> I have seen neither all the way through. <laughs> Fair. Uh, so there, uh, this is comes on 4K and Blu-ray. Uh, both of the extras rarely are. Uh, usually, there's only on the Blu-ray. They're available on both here. There's a handful of featurettes, which are actually more. There's more stuff going on than you usually expect, although they're filmed in a very typically PK way. But they literally have Jordan Peele going, oh, this thing that confused y'all, this is what this means. Yeah. That's what that means. That's what that means. And I was kind of startled to see that. Because normally this is the type of film where they go like, I'm curious to know what you guys think. You know, to get very (laughs) lynchian about it. To go like, no, I'm not going to tell you. And he tells you straight up, no, this is what my my ideas were. This is what this meant to me. And I really respected that. That is kind of what keeps me so excited about what Jordan Peele does in the future. I, I watched this with my wife and she never looks through the special features. And after we finished this movie, we sat down and watched them all. Like, honestly... Yeah, I I watched them all, too. (laughs) I I know this is, like, part two, but this is the pick of this set for me. Like, the pick of the week, the the double week, doesn't matter. Both sets, this is the best one I saw. Uh, There's six and a half minutes of deleted scenes that I thought were worth watching as well. Yeah. I mean, you see why every single one of them was cut out of the film. Like, there's a moment you're like, okay, totally understand why you cut this out, but it's a really enjoyable scene to watch, nonetheless. Uh, Yeah. Us is, is solid. And, and, and honestly, if you walked into it the first time and thought, I don't think I liked it, this is exactly the type of movie that requires a rewatch. Agreed. And a reconsideration. Admittedly, so you gave this movie to me earlier than the rest. I watched it twice. Did you really? I did. <laughs> wow. Was it because you liked it so much the first time or because you were confused by it the first uh, time? No, I liked it so much. I, I watched it myself and then I... Got my wife and was like, okay, look, you're watching this movie. I'm, I'm going to make you watch this movie. And I sat her down and we saw it. So I don't want to spend a huge amount of time on this next one, which is basically Cinderella being re-released for the, I think, fourth time on Blu-ray. That's okay. I, I hate Cinderella. Really? I really do. Okay. Well, this is the, <laughs> quote, anniversary edition, quote, the signature collection version. It's Disney's animated Cinderella which, uh, for many people, is one of the highlights of Disney's classic period of, <sighs> of animation. And I find the whole thing, like, basically a big Tom and Jerry cartoon that, with a bunch of, like, fashion stuff going on around so, it. it. 
I said, I don't want to talk about it much either. Here, here's my spiel. So nothing happens. There's no real story. It's basically sad girl goes to a party and gets married to a guy she's never met. Um, the mice and the animals are the only interesting characters. In and even then, it's me. just a Tom Jerry, and Tom like, Jerry yeah, thing. Yeah. There just isn't a story. And, and I was telling you when you handed me this movie that I, I had a friend who I made the same comment when I saw the live action one. There's just nothing to the Cinderella story to me. And this friend reached out to me and gave me a very in-depth explanation of why Cinderella, the proper story, was very important in French... French, maybe something, some nationalities, um, cultural heritage. Which has nothing to do with analyzing the original and and a Disney version. And and the end result is that's nice. Yeah. I still hate the movie. I I don't hate this. I think it's (laughs) an enjoyable watch, but I've never found Cinderella to be like one of the ones I come back to over uh, and over again. One of the things I love about doing digital noise when we do get occasional kid-friendly stuff is watching new things and going, you know what? I want to show this to my daughter or my son. I will never you don't show wanna... this to. Well, because she's kids. useless. She's yes. just like everybody's useless. Yeah, it, it's just it's it's gorgeously animated. Yes, I'm not going to say it's not. It's beautiful looking film. It's. Very much a product of of Disney being at the absolute top of their game in 1950 when this movie came out, uh, and this being at the time one of the biggest hits they've ever done. And the music is great for what it is. Yeah, yeah. Everything that's not the story in this movie is very well done. It's not poorly made. It's just a bad. So story. the question is, would you want to buy this over the previous editions? Okay. So here's the bonus features that, that are here. Uh, the, there's, uh, this is pretty much exactly the same edition as, uh, previous editions that have existed. It's the same 1080p print, uh, transfer. It's the same DTS HD master audio 7.1 lossless soundtrack. Uh, what's new? This is almost embarrassing. Uh, this first part. There's a, uh, <laughs> there's a Disney Channel show I've never heard of called Sydney to the Max. And the two stars of that show is Ruth Riggy and Ava, uh, Colker, uh, show up to give trivia for okay. five minutes. Not even five minutes. But I will admit, it's kind of an interesting extra, an audio commentary that is more about, if you're interested in the history of how Disney Studios did things. It's not a traditional track. It's one of those, it's called, uh, In Walt's Words, The Envisioning of Cinderella, which is taking a previously existing commentary and presenting it with picture-in-picture imagery that regularly has the actual image of the movie move into a corner of the screen while it shows you, like, all the stuff that was going on and pictures and there's a narration uh, going on about it. It's like, for Disney completists, this is kind of a cool thing. But once again, Cinderella is not one of and I know we're both. Somebody's going to give a shit. We're both on the outside. I was saying, like, I think that I've pissed off some people. Cinderella's not. I, I, I think I said when we reviewed the live action version, I was like, I think I like this better than the animated version. I'm sorry. I I don't know what to tell you. Uh, This honestly, to me, felt like that thing Disney does, where every few years they put out a new. Sapphire gem or gold or platinum they do. edition of the movie. Where's my it, sapphire it, it, black cauldron? It, it, it's out. Thank you. <laughs> uh, it's out for six months to a year. Then it goes out of print. And with a cat from outer space. I, okay. 
I can't follow you on that or one. The Watcher in the Woods. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait till you get Disney streaming. But yeah, like I, I do. You need to buy this if you already own it. No. But no, absolutely. I mean, like, unless you're like the hardest of hardcore Disney completist fans. I mean, this is, it's exactly the same visual and audio version. It just has, I mean, obviously you don't need the fucking like useless teenagers from some Disney show doing regurgitating Disney facts about it. But like, I admit that I watched 30 minutes or so of this with the, that commentary visual track. I was like, this is kind of neat, but I don't. Care? It, it's for all the people who have had kids, and since the last time, and they didn't own it last time it came out. I mean, in the enormous so collection of bonus features from previous editions yeah. is also included. All right. Well, let's move on, thankfully, to what I think is our final. Yes. Oh, my God. And I know it's not your pick of the week. It would be mine. Under the Silver Lake. Uh, Under the Silver Lake, Aaron. Yeah. Okay. The lake is silver, and this movie is under it, and it's beautiful. God, so this is directed by the guy who did It Follows, which is where yeah. I, I got onto him there. David Rock, but, but Robert he, Mitchell. Yeah, he is not a horror director. He primarily makes dramas, I believe. No, he's only made one other movie beside that, and that was uh, the Myth of the American Sleepover. Right. Okay, well, the, then it's not that he primarily makes; it's just that he makes what passes his interest. He makes his thing. Yeah, yeah. This was okay. All right, so I'm so, gonna yeah, yeah, yeah. T- tell me. I'm gonna be the please guy. Please explain to me. I think this is the greatest cult American movie since arguably Repo Man. <laughs> I really genuinely, I think this is a five star cult movie. Which means if you don't get into it, that's fine. It wasn't directed at you. Yeah. I love this movie so fucking much. I've watched it three times now. Wow. I'm just like, I'm so, and the only thing that made me mad is they only sent me the DVD instead of the Blu-ray. I was like, what are you doing? Send me the Blu-ray. <laughs> <laughs> I want Criterion to put out a version of this movie. And five years from now, I won't be surprised if they do. Okay, yeah, sure. No, Actually, I'm telling you, know you. You know what? This does feel like the kind of thing that Criterion would dig. So, Chris, please explain the plot. I'd like to hear you go through Okay, this. so this is a... And then you can fawn over it, and then I'll talk about oh, my... I'm going to fawn okay like stuff. crazy. I'm <laughs> fawning like... like like I'm going to kill buying Bambi's mom. I'm <laughs> fawning over this so much. Uh, this is... <laughs> I don't know. This is a neo-noir mystery film. Uh, comedy, parody, conspiracy. Uh, <laughs> said in L.A., Andrew Garfield feels plays this douchebag of a guy... Yeah, yes, uh, and he's totally supposed to be, and, and uh, the movie and him never expects you to like him. Hey, like, who's telling the story? Sorry, on? sorry, sorry. All right, <laughs> <laughs> so he lives in his apartment where he really spies on his is like I guess I'm guessing sixty something year old neighbor who walks around topless Late with 50s, his binoculars, uh, but. But an attractive late 50s. Oh, yeah. No question. Um, And then a new neighbor moves in, played by Riley Keogh, who he's like, oh, damn. Super fucking hot. I'm I'm in. What's going on here? We find out very early on he's barely keeping hold of this apartment. He has a relationship with his parents where it's like, 
Okay, no, Mom, everything's fine. No, stop calling. It's fine. It's good. Very dismissive sort of relationship. He's very selfish. He's very self-involved. But he wants to fuck this girl. He, he's a... I don't know. I Playing a 20-something. I'm sure he's probably a yeah, early yeah, no. 30-something at this point. Well, the actress. You're right. He's, so, he's mid-20s. The, what it comes down to is she... They have a meet cute. They hit it off. They don't quite have sex, but it's like clearly the next time yeah, yeah. they get together, they're, they're going to. Up. And the next day, she's gone. Everything in her apartment is missing. Like he looks in the window, like it's all gone. Everything's been removed. And he's like, oh, a mystery. Once again, I'm that guy who goes, I'm the guy who goes, oh, I get you. A mystery. I'm there with you. All right. So that's like only one of the weird fucking mysteries. Thank you, Jack. Okay. Sorry, my cat just reached up at me and goes, hello, pet me. Uh, there's also someone who's been kidnapping and murdering dogs in the neighborhood, which is a big running thing that's going on in this that a lot of people have theorized is him. But on three rewatches, I do not think it is him. I spent the whole movie going, I'm kind of maybe sure it's him. I don't think it's him. I There's so much. There's violent arguing about this online of people okay. like, and I'm like, I don't, I have, I fall on the side. I don't think it's him. Okay. I'm not sure who it's supposed to be though. <laughs> well, it's, it's not really part. It's background flavor. It's not really about the plot at all. It's just, it's there. And it's Keep part it. of the general web of story. That Despite the fact is. that he doesn't have a job, he doesn't have money to pay for his rent. Is he's about to be kicked out of his apartment. He becomes obsessed days. with finding out what happens to her. And he happens to like, see this woman who comes into her apartment and grabs a box of stuff and leaves and he follows her. And that leaves him on a whole trail that goes to a local rock band called wonderfully Jesus and the Brides of Dracula, which may be the greatest name for a band ever invented. You know, they Uh, were going to go with Brides of Frankenstein, but they thought that the Dracula thing just worked so much better. Um, this movie goes to so many weird places along his investigation of what happened to her. It is the very definition of an insane cult film. It ties into L.A. conspiracy theories that relate to celebrity. It ties into the history of film noir. It has a really weird obsession with this unfinished Marilyn Manson. Uh, not Marilyn Manson. I'm sorry. Uh, Monroe? Marilyn Monroe film. Like her last film she never finished. Like it has a weird obsession with that specific movie and imagery from it. Um, it is really into Robert Anton Wilson and his Illuminatus trilogy. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that pops up through that. And if you don't know that stuff, that's not going to bother you. I was going to say that. Yeah, yeah. No, you won't notice that you missed it. But this is a movie that tries to constantly feel like everything throughout it, everything is circular, everything ties in. There's this shot I think is my favorite shot I saw all year. He is like... Obsessed with the the Playboy magazine he grew up jerking off to because he stole it from his dad. And then a girl underwater dies and she falls, like, as she's watching her die, she falls into, like, that same position. And I was like, what does it mean? (laughs) And I kind of love stuff that makes me say that. 
I found this kind of like obsessive where I'm like, I want to watch it and keep watching it and keep watching it until I understand completely what it means. And maybe it doesn't mean anything. I suspect the people who are going to love this the most are people who like still stand by Lost. I stand by Lost. <laughs> well, you're the exception. <laughs> but no, you're right. Like, I, I wanted to like it as much as you did, man. I really did. There's a lot here that I love. I really usually like movies that are no even this this one I liked the randomness where shit just kind of happens uh, I liked the obsession and I, I would say that it's really a movie uh, less about a guy finding a mystery and more about a guy slowly uh, descending into his schizophrenia and it just so happens that his uh, random ramblings stumble upon something real. Maybe, or maybe he's just insane the whole time. Man, I've spent um, hours reading theories like, about about this film and what it really means. And like I've heard everything from he's totally insanely schizophrenic to like he genuinely stumbled upon this like conspiracy theory in OA to this beautiful metaphor about the exact thing that people who took it on a surface level came away from offended about it, which is the idea. This is a movie about a douchebag of a guy who treats women oh. like shit. And it's like, how can you watch this? I'm sorry. I feel like it's kind of stupid to watch this movie and think that this movie no, is misogynist. This, this movie it's is deeply anti-misogynist. This is the definition of a movie that's not really what it's about. It's about how it's about what it's about. Um, what? Even you just <laughs> lost me. I'm Basically, sorry. it's about the subtext. Yeah. This is not for the plot. You watch this for what everything means. And that's actually ultimately where I broke with the movie. So when this movie was originally announced, I even remember the the release note of him going, look, I want to make a movie and I want to make a movie about the shittiness of Hollywood and how it churns up women and they're just objectified animals. And I think and, he does that. And he does. The problem is that I've seen a thousand of those. And so... Well, it's I better li- than most of them. I, I liked the sequences, and I liked the style, and I loved his filmmaking. The acting was good. It all came back to this message of Hollywood sucks. Just kind of, I, I'm really reducing it here. But the problem I have is, I, I guess after watching that so many times, I want something more. Yeah. I, I want if you're going to tell me that that like. There's a scene in the ending where a guy literally sits there and monologues at the main character and just like, this is what the movie's about, kind of thing. Are you talking about the music guy? No, I'm not. Although, that was a great scene. I love, I that. love that so uh, much. I love that scene. No, it, I'm talking there's about... A, there's a musical sequence in here at one point with a guy who basically is responsible for writing every hit Actually, song that's ever been written. That's amazing. <laughs> that is the best scene in the movie. That is a genuinely... I agree wonderful sequence that even if you don't like this film, you should check out that you scene. You love that. You're going to love that scene. I'm yeah. talking about the scene with the rich guy in the hut. Oh, okay. Um, oh, and, uh, by my buddy, Don McManus. And I just... I, I hung out with that guy at Fantastic Fest. We got seriously drunk together. There you go. But uh, <laughs> like, Watching the movie, I just was like, you know, I get this. I've seen this before. If you're going to tell me this, give me a solution. Because the solution was just like... Yeah, like, fuck you for being in this environment. And there is no solution. Uh, and I, I got aggravated. I like that there's no solution. I like that part of it. That there's just like, no, is it 
the thing that, like, and I think they want you to think, is he just crazy? Or is this real? Oh, yeah, that, I get that. I, I think a movie doesn't have to be necessarily about, like, having a answer for its audience if it's super entertaining at every aspect right. of the way. And I think this is that movie. You're right. I, I just, I'm at a point where I want more from this message. I, I This message alone isn't enough anymore for your subtext. I need something deeper than that. The, the film had the cool sequences, and I'll admit I watched the whole thing and was into it. I was never bored. It, you know what? The, oh, this, how could you be bored by this the, the, movie? This movie feels a lot like um, uh, The Thirst, where, like, I I want to like this movie, and there's so much here that I normally love, but it just doesn't click with me. I, I don't think that they... He has the narrative... I don't think he has the the subtext that I really wanted out of this film. And, like, I can see why people would watch this and hate it, because, yeah... If you're not vibing with the underground message, then this is going to look like a deeply misogynistic movie because all the women are plastic and all the men are assholes. But that's but the, the point. movie's about like right that like the, how disturbing that is. That's what the movie yeah. is about. How upsetting that and is. I just wanted more. <laughs> I, I oh and it took I, everything I, also, I had. I, I also, at fantastic best when I saw this. To not yell at someone, I was like, "No, don't be that guy <laughs> who was going off on that like like feminist thing." It was a dude, and I was like, "No, no, don't even get involved because some you don't know what's going to happen if you you get angry." And I was getting really angry about it because it was like, "You're so fucking stupid that you don't see that this movie is exactly addressing this guy as like." Not a good guy, yeah. and that the things he's doing here. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. I, I, I feel like it makes the, me angry. Cara, yeah. This is my last thing I'll say, and this is an actual more technical critique. I think the movie should have lost 20 minutes, and I, I can't sit here and go. I could have watched this is the scene to cut. This. this is the scene to cut. But I think that if the movie were not two and a half hours or just under, it's, it's two, like two, it's two hours 20. and nineteen. Yeah, yeah. Like if it was right at or just under two hours. I probably would have been a lot more understanding of the movie and into it. But as as it was at that length... Just Honestly, just, I kind of wish this was some miniseries that would kept going. Yeah, I would have kept watching it. You know what? I'd be down for that. Hey, because at least if it was a miniseries, you could let ideas breathe a little bit more and you can explore the individual ideas a little bit more. Season more, like significantly more time might have helped. Significantly more or cut it out to make it a more uh, watchable two-hour movie. You know? Know, for me, this is was I was entranced by this there fucking thing. Like, 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 watched it like this is a game changer for Chris Cox. Like, I, okay. I remember sitting there and going, and I was sober when I watched it, to be very clear, because it was the last day of Fantastic Fest and I was exhausted. Uh, 
it blew me out of my seat. And one other person in the entire audience agreed with me. See, uh, like I'd like my buddy, Alan Cerny, who does reviews, uh, for other places online and, uh, was like, what? I know. I feel like we're both whispering. Why are we whispering? Because no one agrees with us, but See, we both loved it, loved it so much. I have to admit, I, my opinion is typically in line with yours enough that both of this and thirst, even though I just saw them, I'm sitting here going, I don't know, maybe I need to watch it again. <laughs> like, am, I'm sorry. Am I just missing something? Like, I can just be very forceful. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't mean to be that guy. Um, no, no. It's just that anytime you like something this much, I, I usually like it too. <laughs> I, but also sometimes I'm like weirdly passionate about shit that like I, I go, and we talked about before we even started, it was like, Hey, David Lynch movies, anybody who ever tells me, I just don't really get it. I go, no, that's cool, man. I get it. It's not for everyone. But if you do get it, it changes your entire life and who you are as a person. Yeah. (laughs) And Under the Silver Lake is one of those movies for me is like kind of like this new massive cult classic that I will rewatch over and over and over again. Fair enough. Um, uh, there's not a lot of extra features here, but there were some interesting ones. The two choices were, uh, there's what lies under the silver lake production design, which I now sound, I know sounds boring. Ten and a half minutes of the production designer talking about, uh, how they designed the colors of the sets. And it's super fucking interesting where they set up the color swatches that he chose at the bottom of the screen and relate it to what's going okay. on and how it's meaningful. I kind of wish I had seen that. That would have been awesome. It's pretty cool. Because the movie is a very gorgeous movie. With and colors. there's beautiful specter musical neo-noir for uh, nine and a half minutes, which is about the plot of the really great original score, which, I th- which is totally Bernard Herman. Okay. Like very Hitchcocky Bernard Herman, and then uh, does the band Disaster Piece, Rich uh, Rich Reland, uh, contributes to some interviews to this. I, God damn it, it's fucking. I love it so much. <laughs> if, I wish this movie was someone I could date. Like basically, <laughs> the end is the, the all together is. It's worth a watch if you like these kinds of more surreal dream logic movies. If you like these kinds of really uh, people ruin their lives, mysteries where they're just like, I, I have to know no matter what, check it out. You may really love it or you may really despise I'm it. I'm not sure the way that's the way I would describe it, but sure. <laughs> uh, this has been digital noise. This has been Aaron. This has been Chris. Please click on our links. If you go on the actual page at oneofus.net, there's links with pictures of the of the movies we're talking about. If you click on those and you buy that from those links, we get a kickback. But in fact, if you start from those links and you buy absolutely anything, I mean, like a washing machine, a car, a dildo, whatever it is, we get a kickback. Probably not as much money from a dildo. And a kick out of it if it's the dildo. Indeed. Uh, thank you for listening, and we'll be back soon with more digital noise. And I'm sorry for Aaron. I'm like, hey, by the way, here's 19 movies for your, <laughs> for your next two stacks. Sorry, Aaron. Good guy. I'm good. <laughs>